Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This crowd rises to its feet. But Carl slammed it home. Garland left wing. Three ball. Perfect. Garland in front of the lane. Lobbed the Mobley. Pow. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Pow with the left hand and a foul. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Roan. The Chase Down is presented by Fubo TV. Watch over 100 channels of live sports and TV for half the cost of cable. There's no contract and no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com. The Cleveland Cavaliers dropped a disappointing one in Salt Lake City. Donovan Mitchell's return uh, to his former team. Really frustrating game. Uh, not not a lot of fun to, to see them lose in that way. But joining me to talk about that game and look ahead to the rest of the road trip is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. Um, <clears throat> I got all my grump out last night. Uh, you know, just a really brutal way to lose a game. Uh, I thought they completely dominated that fourth quarter. So to to lose when you had the game under such control, it's just one of those painful ones, especially one that you really want to win for, you know, mm. uh, for momentum purposes, for Donnie homecoming purposes, for a lot of reasons, and they didn't win. Yeah, and uh, you know, we can. I, I'm sure we're going to talk about why. Um. But like ultimately, I think the Cavs had that game in their hands, and they they let it go. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is really disappointing to to see that result. I agree with your assessment. I thought they really took control of the fourth quarter. Um, the Jazz <clears throat> shot just five of twenty five in the fourth quarter and still won. Um, I, I tweeted as it was happening that the Cavs actually do have the best net rating in the NBA when it comes to fourth quarters, and. Funny enough, they did end up winning the fourth quarter with that late Donovan Mitchell three. Um, but yeah, it was one of those that just kind of slipped away. Um, I thought Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, and obviously Donovan Mitchell played about as well as you could reasonably expect. I thought Mobley was flat out dominant in the fourth quarter. Uh, that was one of the best defensive games I've seen from him in a long time. Garland, you could tell. Um it's it's probably at this point we're getting a feel for what we can expect with Garland as he's wearing this brace. Uh, looked better last game against Phoenix. Touch was a little bit off against Utah, but I thought overall he was helpful. And Mitchell was just on an absolute mission, but they just didn't get a lot from the remainder of the supporting cast. And uh, I mean, obviously the Karis Levert uh, mishaps uh, late in the game ended up being incredibly costly. Yeah, you know, and... <clears throat> We have to talk about this, and pardon, I'm probably gonna be clearing my throat a lot tonight, gang. My voice <laughs> is still shot from this cold. We're we're just um, we're just all happy that you're here. Uh, we, we're oh, worried thanks, about you brother. after last podcast. I'm I'm talking uh, on behalf of all the listeners because I'm I'm in touch with what they with their feeling. God, I know you are, buddy. Um, you know, I knew we would have to talk about Karis, and you know, you didn't see a lot of ref complaints out of me last night because I thought this was emblematic of. You know, and maybe I'm being a little harder on Karis because I know this is a thing that drives me crazy historically with him, mm -hmm. which is I thought he was terrible on his closeouts last night. Um, I thought he was off balance. I thought he put himself in a position to get called fouls. You know, like could the refs have called, you know, called it differently? Sure. Um, did Clarkson move forward a little bit on that jumper? Yes. But I mean, uh, as our boy Ziggy was on Twitter saying, as he's rising, Karras is on the free throw line. Like, mm -hmm. you're not contesting that shot. You're just not uh, in a meaningful way. 
Um, again, like being smart and keeping yourself out of situations where you can get kind of, you know, put yourself in a bad spot and in a vulnerable spot. The reality is ever since the Zaza Kawhi incident, if you undercut a three point shooter, you're going to get called. I, I yeah. just, I, every single one I see is a flagrant. So the second I saw it, I was like, it's a flagrant. Like I was hoping against hope it wouldn't be, but sure. And then to get behind him and then uh, be again not in particularly good control on the second foul, um, to the point where you could draw another one. I, just, I think it's, I think you know, Karis has to take a little responsibility there. Um, and like, it, it is, uh, in, it's endemic of a of an issue I've had with him on the defensive end in the past. So mm-hmm. like. Am, am I, am I, you know, I was much grumpier last night. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm fine with it today. I get it. Um, super hard to play defense against a hot, uh, shooter like that. I think if Okoro had not been, uh, under the weather, uh, you know, maybe you see him on, on uh, Clarkson and yeah. instead of Karras. So it's a yeah, tough, honestly, it's a tough guard for him, but like he got, you know, I, I, I don't think. This was a situation where I left the game going, man, those refs just really screwed us. I think we oh, put God, ourselves no. in a dangerous spot. No, the, the, there was far, like there, there were so many things that you could point to um, beyond those calls, right? Like they gave that game away. You, you know how I like to always revisit the Kyrie Irving trade and I will branch out. Uh, every every single tentacle of that trade and add to it uh, to, to add the context of the trade. We can do the same thing for the Donovan Mitchell trade and add this win to the Jazz because the Cavs gifted them this one. Um, I will add, Carter, like my honestly, my frustration with it in the moment, and I did see uh, the, there was a tweet, a, a graph that was put out today that said that Cavs fans rank third in the NBA for complaining about refs. So anytime you can see your hard work get acknowledged, it, it's always refreshing and appreciated. So hat tip to whoever put that uh, graph out there. Uh, my, my gripe with it was that Karras on the one that was called a, a flagrant was that he turned his feet the other way and he he wasn't taking away the landing space. And you're right that ever since Zaza, that usually gets called. But my gripe is that it wasn't called when Karras was fouled by Jordan Clarkson on the exact same type of move where Clarkson took away his landing space on an and one three. I, I think it should have been called a foul at that point. I get that. The the flagrant to, to give them the possession and then for Clarkson to jump backwards into the three. It was annoying at the time. But by no means is that why they lost. And so many of my gripes in the game ended up getting answered after the game. Because like you, I was thinking, man, it'd be great to have Okoro out there. Like The Cavs obviously shut the Jazz's water off. They shot only 20% in the fourth quarter. But Isaac Okoro being able to really kind of take away what Jordan Clarkson is doing. And I guess with the way that uh, defense is allowed to play with, with the current rules... The only way that you can really defend a three-point shot by Clarkson is if you're in position initially, right? Because then if he's jumping into you and he's kicking his legs out, that's going to be deemed an offensive foul. Whereas if you're Karras and you're making up ground, that's where you're going to get into trouble. So I understand that. I, I understand the application of the rule. It's just the the inconsistency when it wasn't called on the other end. And the fact that, hey, his feet were at the free throw arc rather than the three-point arc turned the other way, and it was still deemed as taking away the landing space. To me, that seemed a little bit ridiculous, but we we probably should have mentioned it at the top. 
Isaac Okoro, uh, J.B. Bickerstaff clarified that both Jared Allen and Isaac Okoro were throwing up before and during the game, uh, dealing with, uh, I guess, uh, a little bit of food poisoning. Guess they got a, a pizza recommendation from Michael Jordan. But that that like explained a lot of kind of the situational gripes that I had because I, I would have liked to have seen Isaac uh, play more in this game because I thought his first initial shift was very good. Yeah, it turns out uh, it's hard to play if you're puking. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there, there's a degree of like the, the, the issues I did have earlier were pretty easily answered, you know, um, when you're down, you're starting center and you're starting small forward. Yeah. Karras might play 15 minutes in a row. Um, especially on a night where it was, a you know, I would call it bad jetty night where yeah. he just didn't have it. It was very clear. Everything was awkward. Everything was, um, you know when he did do kind of his chaos plays, they were chaos the wrong way. Um, and so Jetty wasn't there. I thought Lamar had a really nice game um, guarding Lowry Markinen. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's a spot where, when you know, we've talked about it plenty of times, but when you're down, uh, in this instance, uh, three rotation players and Dean, uh, Jarrett, and mostly Isaac, um, your other role players, the burden on them, to have a good game gets really, really high. And Kevin Love had a had a pretty awful offensive game. Yeah. He missed four wide open threes. I think he's like one for his last sixteen. He's slumping right now. Um, you know, Jetty was was bad. Uh Okora or Neto, you know, he was fine, but he didn't, you know, he, he it, it wasn't the same spark the that you got in the, the previous game. Yeah, he didn't game. flip the game. So, you know, when when that happens, you know, like it, it's just really hard to win a game, and then and they were gonna win. <laughs> That's the thing; they were gonna win until, um, you know, a, a freak couple mistakes slash uh, calls that maybe didn't go their way. Uh, you know, combined like it was a little bit of a perfect storm. Like maybe Karras doesn't get called for all all of those, yeah. and they don't mess up the out of bounds call prior. Yeah, uh, to the play. Um, but like, yeah, that, that, you know, that was part of it too. Was I? Yeah, I, I did see it pointed out that some people said that Lamar kind of signaled that he did touch it, but he, in real time, uh, especially because there wasn't a replay, I thought that the Clarkson shot just went out of bounds and that that whole possession should never have occurred, the seven-point possession. And I, I felt bad for Karras, too, because I thought he was actually having a pretty good game offensively. Like, he, he was reasonably efficient on, on a night where the Cavs couldn't get a lot of things going. Uh, Salt Lake City is historically a, a tough place to play for the Cavs. Uh, it's always part of a road trip. You're dealing with the elevation, similar situation to Denver. You kind of expect to shoot a little bit worse uh, in those games. But yeah, they, they just missed a lot of momentum threes. Um, I, I remember there's a time in the third quarter, I believe they were up one and they had a, a clean look at a three that they missed. Garland missed one in transition. As you mentioned, Kevin Love missed a bunch of threes. Um, but I, I think you were correct to highlight Lamar because... When we are talking about, as this team gets healthy, what kind of role do we envision for everybody? This is the exact kind of spot where I really like getting Lamar minutes. It's as a small ball four. I thought he was very good on Lowry Markinen. When he's playing that position, I think it's easier to get him kind of those rim running looks and uh, the the possessions where everyone else is being accounted for. And um, you, you can find him get cutting to the basket or uh, I believe he got a couple passes in the dunker spot as well. This is a role that I love for Lamar. And I, I think on nights when Kevin Love doesn't have it or maybe you're playing a team that is playing five out, which challenges Love defensively uh, when, when he has to play in space, 
I like playing Lamar in those spots. I think Dean Wade is another player that can really work in those spots. And unfortunately, uh, when you're down Jared Allen, we're kind of stuck in, in situations where Kevin Love had to play the five defensively, which is a really tough ask. Yeah, sorry. Uh, and It's one of those things where he just didn't really have the mobility. I thought he actually played okay defensively, um, but you know, there's just there's just a limit to what he can do protecting the rim. I thought Jared did a nice job. I think his lack of shooting gravity, um, you know, is much more easily hidden when he's only playing next to one big as opposed to two. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was really what we thought he was going to be. You know, like this this Lamar as perimeter player thing um, kind of sprung up out of nowhere. You know, yeah. we all thought, okay, small ball high energy four that can run and be switchy. And, uh, you know, all the perimeter stuff has been really a, a byproduct of, you know, need rather than, you know, I think what has ever been ideal for him. So I was, you know, I, I feel like Lamar has had some some rough social media games where people are being pretty hard on him. And I think it's, you know, watching him in this role, it's really a good byproduct of like, hey, this guy's pretty useful when he's put in the right box. Uh, and when JB is allowed to put him in the right box, which is you know just as important because yeah. circumstance determines uh, as much as anything. Yeah, availability is such a big factor. And I mean, as frustrating as it is to to see Kevin Love go through this offensive spell, I don't think it's fair to to put the loss solely on him either because the Cavs were plus four in his minutes, right? Like it's not like they were outscored by some unreasonable margin with him on the court and then they had to make up for it. So I, I think it's too easy sometimes to label these guys as scapegoats and point the finger at them. I thought collectively they could have been better. Um, I, but they I should have won the game. I mean, again, like that's the thing. Like they, they, they should have won the game. And like it, like if that freak occurrence doesn't happen, they were well on their way to doing so. So mm-hmm. it's like it's too hard. You know, I'm not super worried about like pointing fingers on a night like that where it's like, hey, if you didn't make – you know, a couple enormous mistakes to close the game. You're walking away with a win and feeling a lot different. Yeah, but I I think it also comes back to what you highlighted in the last podcast, which was the Cavs need to be more consistent. They need to play a complete game. And you look at it, the two quarters you highlighted when you were talking about that, first and third quarter, those were the, the quarters that the Cavs lost by a combined 11 points, and then they had to make up for it. Like, if you play a more consistent game and maintain that focus, you're not going to put yourself in a position where you are susceptible to a call going your way or not going your way, right? Like, it's hard to even complain uh, about the Levert calls when we had two games last week where the last two-minute report said that the the Cavs basically should have lost uh, to the Bulls both times, right? Like, you're going to have games that you win in those spots. You're going to have games that you lose. But if you play a more consistent game, if you take care of business, you're going to put yourself in a position where you're not vulnerable to that. And I think that's one of the bigger takeaways. It's easy to say that now when you start the game and two of the guys that you start the game with and you anticipate playing a bunch are not available to you. Uh, So certainly a weird circumstance there. But I do think there's enough of a sample size this season of the Cavs not putting 48 minutes together that it's at least worth noting. Yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, it's a young team and it's, you know, you're not, I mean, if they did consistently put fourth quarters together or all four quarters together, sorry, they would be the best team in the league. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's uh, every team has a weakness. Everyone, every team has, you know, a bugaboo that keeps them from winning every single night uh, when you're more talented than your opposition, which 
most games. I think you could say that applies to the Cavs. Yeah, and, and um, it's a, a common trait with, with young teams, right? Like yeah. inconsistency is the whole thing. That's that's why you and I don't put them yet a, a, in the contending tier, even though all the numbers say that this is a contending caliber team, which I do believe that they have the talent to contend. It's inconsistency. The 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 level of consistency that you have to play with to win an NBA championship is higher than most young teams display. There's always the growing pain. So that's going to manifest in the regular season, but it's worth highlighting, at least when, when you're talking about games like this, that you could avoid these situations by giving more consistent effort throughout the course of the game. Yeah, but let's stop talking about not fun stuff and talk about Evan Mobley's defense in the fourth Ooh. quarter. <laughs> Justin, he had four blocks in the fourth, um, just completely shut uh, the Jazz's water off multiple times. Um, you know, made uh poor Walker Kessler Edwards uh whatever <laughs> the hell his name is uh have a have a really rough game um from the field. I I just was so impressed by him. I think it was probably his most complete uh quarter as a defender, especially without Jared out there that we've seen thus far in his career. Yeah, I, I mean that's one of the the really impressive things I, I think that we've seen now a couple times with Mobley when. Jarrett missed uh, some time earlier in the year, the defense actually improved, which wasn't the case last season, uh, especially when you don't have Dean Wade as well, who is kind of a, a another big that can play a lot of different positions defensively and fulfill a lot of roles. Evan, I, I feel, has really elevated his game on the defensive end, especially when he is playing as a center, and that's really important. And I, I thought the composure he showed in this game, uh, he picked up some early fouls as well. Uh, I believe he fouled Lowry on a three that he would have liked to have back and a couple other ones, but he didn't let that deter him from still playing aggressive defense and going after these blocks instead of, oh, I, I got to be careful because Jarrett's out and I, I don't have the same kind of rope that I would have uh, if we had him as an option to go to. Uh, he was really assertive on the defensive end and, and frankly, I think he changed the game. Like you talk about the five of 25, the jazz shot in the fourth quarter. That was a direct result, in my opinion, of the defense of Mobley was playing at the rim and he got them back in this game and he got them into position to, to win. They just didn't bring it home. Yeah, I would agree. I thought, I thought that fourth quarter was Evans on the defensive end and, you know, obviously Donnie's on the offensive end. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a really exciting, I, I don't know if Evans taken over a game that thoroughly yet this mm-hmm. season uh for any stretch yeah um really i mean they were jazz were scoring at will through the majority of that game and you know up till the you know the last two minutes it was going great yep. uh you know uh but such is life how about a cleveland cavalier taking 18 threes in a game <laughs> has anyone ever done that Did we, have we ever checked that that mm-hmm. stat I, I haven't. Um, I assume at some point JR has. Um, maybe CJ Miles. I, I know CJ Miles had the, the three point record uh, prior to the, the return of LeBron. So maybe one of those guys had it. But that's a great point. Like, it, it's nice to have a Cavalier that's that assertive from the three point line. I mean, having Donnie and Darius when, when he's healthy and his hand is feeling right, uh, just the volume that they put up is more than we'd see on a nightly basis for the Cavs uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, 18 threes is bananas. And, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, he only went 7 of 18, which is, you know, perfectly good percentage. Um, but even inside the arc, he went 7 of 9 from two-point range. Just 
completely uh, destroying them uh, on all of his rim attacks, getting clean looks, uh, killing them from floater range. I thought probably didn't help that Walker Kessler was uh, calling out the defensive (laughs) schemes, which uh, led to one of my favorite (laughs) tweets uh, highlighting Donnie talking to him after the game saying, hey, when you're calling out what the defense is doing, like don't don't say exactly what it is because you're kind of giving me the answers to the test. Good old Donnie, uh, still coaching and being that good vet uh, to his former team. Respectfully, Donnie, don't do that in the playoffs. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, but it is it is hilarious, you know, because you come from a college environment where you do probably just call holler that stuff out because they're not good enough to kill you. But Donovan Mitchell is. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I mean, Donnie grew up a LeBron fan, was a big Cavs fan through that run. And one of the, the things that we saw in the playoffs, especially against Toronto, was LeBron knowing exactly what the Raptors were running at every time and calling it out and frustrating them. So that's just that next level IQ right there. Yeah, he was uh, he was awesome in this game. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm sad that they weren't able to win it for him because he, you know, it. it it just feels like he's the kind of guy who uh, comes and rises to these moments, you know, and uh, not in a way that is annoying either. Like I, I feel like I feel like at the beginning of the season, uh, I might have suggested that the first game in Utah would be a little irritating where Donnie would be forcing things and gunning, you know, even if even if it, you know, taking some some bad shots. I don't really think he did that. I thought he attacked. We, you know, he created weaknesses in the defense and exploited them, which is exactly what you want, you know, an apex offensive creator to do. And the fact that, again, he just continues to play, you know, it's, it's funny to say play within himself on a night where he took 18 threes. Um, maybe it's not the right terminology, (laughs) but but it felt that way, right? Like, but it it did feel that way. Yeah, I I mean, Donnie took over that game the same way that Zoom took over the world of video conferencing. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. 
Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Carter, we buried a lead. We we absolutely buried I a think, lead on the podcast. I think, I think we, we got there right on time. I wanted to talk about the game and, and get that out of the way before we got to the the really fun stuff. Yeah, you you know, it just it, it's like the the happiness sandwich. Start off happy intro. Talk about the the game that was not as fun, and now we get to some fun, which is the report that Ricky Rubio is nearing return. Adrian Wojnarowski broke the story. Uh, multiple other outlets have uh, kind of confirmed it that Ricky Rubio is getting nearer return. Um, it reported as questionable. On listed the is questionable. NBA report so as, he, as of uh, Wednesday night. Yeah, so it's going to be a matter of how he feels after the practice today uh, as we're recording this on Wednesday, obviously how he goes through warm-ups. But at the very least, we know that it is coming soon. Uh, hopefully it will be against the Portland Trailblazers, but obviously uh, the Cavs will be responsible with Ricky Rubio's return. But man, this washed a lot of the poor taste out of my mouth because at the end of the day, Lost to the Jazz. It's one of 82. Uh, they, they've beat some good teams. It's frustrating. It happens. They gave that one away. But Ricky Rubio returning and this team getting healthy, that's the type of stuff that really kind of matters to the long term of this team. And you and I have talked about this a million times, but what Ricky meant to the Cavs last season and just his presence on the court, that was one of my favorite surprises of last year. And he quickly became one of my favorite members of the team. So I could not be happier to hear that his return is coming soon. Yeah, distilled basketball joy, uh, Ricky Rubio. Um, just a, a, a true savant. Um, you know, I feel like the Cavs really empowered him to be him in a way that you know, other teammates haven't, or other teams he's played for haven't done, you know, where there's a lot of, you know, focus on his shortcomings, whereas the Cavs kind of encouraged him to to play through those, you know. Uh, they encouraged him to shoot uh, threes, both off the bounce and off the catch. Uh, and he rewarded them with some some insane games, um, some insane on-court leadership, uh, some insane off-court leadership. Uh you know, a lot of time, you know, they, they, they signed or they traded for him. And I think there were a lot of eyebrows raised last year because, you know, obviously no one knew what was to come with this team. And, and they know, were I, moving I, on from one of the few kind of three and D wings that they had in Torian Prince. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that I, I'm about as fond of Ricky as a Cavalier. Uh, I think he has surpassed Baron Davis on the a list of Cavaliers <laughs> who, uh, how much I love them uh, that have played less than 30 games with the franchise. <laughs> the the, the um, per game love numbers are off the chart. Off the charts. So it, it just feels you know right to get him back. Uh, I'm super interested, obviously, to see how he looks. You know, it's often kind of considered a two year injury. Even if you can come back after one, you're not all the way right for a year after. He's all he has already torn this ACL, so you have to factor that in as well. But you know, the kind of the nice thing here is like they're already pretty functional without him uh, at the backup point guard spot because it's just Donovan Mitchell. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I just think it's more, uh, you know, I, I keep hammering this, but it's just more stuff in the tool belt for JB. Yeah, um, It's a player that you can throw in there if the team starts to kind of lose their cool and he can kind of help calm them down. Um, and if he gets to last season's heights, 
Then we got a stew going, my friend. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm the optimist. I don't know if we'll see last uh, season's heights uh, with Ricky this year. Um, just with him coming off the Olympics where, where he was playing some of the best basketball of his career and then continuing that on that on with the Cavs. I think it was just at like a level of conditioning and, uh, you know, just reps uh, that had him playing at such a high level. But it was funny looking at the Jazz game. There was a time where JB was going Howell, Darius, and Donnie all together. And I was like, that's the Ricky lineup right there. Like people forget, like when, when people talked about how the cast would close games with Ricky last year, a lot of those games were with Darius and Colin as well, right? Like it was the three guard lineup, just giving the Cavs that little bit of extra juice. And I thought the the movement that they were able to generate with, with the three guard look uh, helped make up for some of the spacing concerns and, and really play with pace. So it wouldn't be surprising to me to to see that. But at the end of the day, like even if Ricky isn't giving the exact same level that he was at last year, I just think that he brings a level of composure and experience that's really going to elevate the team. He's going to make yeah. things he's going to make things easier for Darius. He's going to make things easier for Donovan. He's going to help push the pace. Like I don't know if I've got to this take yet. I think we've talked about it off the podcast a couple of times, but throughout the staggering of a game, I really want to see Isaac play more with Darius. And Ricky is another guy that I'd like to see him play with more because those guys kind of understand how to utilize his off-ball movement. And I think he's gone better off-ball than he was last year. I, th I think you've seen, uh, especially in these last couple of weeks, Isaac really being active in finding those passing lanes off-ball and, and getting into uh, situations where you can get him for an easy look. And I think Ricky and Darius are the two guards that are most capable of finding him. I think Donnie, a lot of his passing skills... Um, He's improved in the pick and roll this year, obviously, but I think a lot of it is kind of kickouts to shooters because that's what he's played with more. Whereas the Cavs have kind of got creative and funky uh, with limited spacing and using a lot of cuts and off ball action. So I, I think having Ricky is going to make life easier for the guards, obviously, but I think he's going to make it easier for the, the guys that cut to the basket, like Isaac, like Lamar, or even Jared and Evan. I have a uh, I have an unfounded suspicion that Ricky that the three point numbers are gonna get better after Ricky comes. Um couple things. There's as the a team obvious, you mean? Yeah, uh as a team, yes. Okay. Um uh you know there's the obvious stuff, uh aka uh he never ever misses a shooter's pocket on a kickout, you know? And uh, and I really think that's something uh more casual fans don't notice. Look at how uh how players shoot when they get a clean pass versus a pass that they have to bring back across their body before they rise or that, that, you know, they have to lean down cause it's near their knees or, um, or reach up and grab it, up. bring it back that, to the pocket, then shoot. Yeah. I, I'm sure someone has the numbers somewhere, but like that is a meaningful percentage changer, you know, as opposed to, you know, you catch the ball in the pocket and can immediately rise up. Like you're, you know, grabbing off a rack almost, or, or just getting a clean chest pass in practice. Um, so he'll do that. I also think uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I feel like he had better gravity than even his percentages showed last year because of his willingness to shoot. The fact that he was taking five, six threes uh, in games from time to time, both as a pull-up and as a catch-and-shoot shooter. Um, so I think those two things, a little extra gravity as compared to you know someone like Isaac who has you know very, very little right now, uh, even if the percentages aren't super different, 
Um, I, I think we're going to see the, this team's three-point numbers kind of bump back up uh, upon Ricky Rubio's return, which is, I don't think, what most people would expect, but it's something I kind of, I, I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I, I think the frequency is going to go up. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see the percentages go up. Like, that was a big part of the, the Jazz loss as well, right? With just the, the percentages they shot from three. And and I, I don't know how much of that's elevation, how much of that's just, you know, a little bit of bad shooting luck or whatever the case may be. But I, I think it's a really good thing to highlight of how he is one of those guys that can find shooters in the pocket, get them a, the ball in ways that they're comfortable with. Um, I mean, that's one of the great skills that LeBron had, right? Was that it's not just that he would be able to get the ball to a shooter. It's that he would get the ball to the shooter in the pocket to give them a clean shot or they, they could go up with a shot right away. Right. And that extra second is what makes the difference in terms of spacing, because most teams are, are you're going to have a guy flying out at you. Uh, it could be the difference between a three point shot going up and a defender's closing out. So I have to kind of drive around him or, or give up the ball and relocate. Um, so I, I think even the, the fact that you're going to get cleaner looks is going to help increase the pace. The fact that he's going to be looking to headman the ball is going to increase the pace. We're probably going to have a few more turnovers too because he's going to try some wild stuff. Um, but if you're a team that passes the ball a bunch and and uh, is more of a ball movement team rather than an isolation one, turnovers are part of the equation. And, and it's certainly part of the equation with Ricky. Like He threw some wild, wild, wild passes last year, but that's half of the fun. It's going to work out 70, 80% all, all, of the all time. Ge- all genius has a little bit of a chaotic element. And uh, you know I am predisposed to basketball. Thank you, Carter. Gen- it's, it's nice when you compliment me. Yeah, but of proceed. course. <laughs> uh, you know I am predisposed towards basketball geniuses. Um, those are my favorite players to watch, even if their you know their skill set or their physicality, um, you know, isn't isn't ne- necessarily as dominant. Um, but the true savants that can just see the floor at an unbelievably high level, you know, play that three D chess, see the the past, you know, a second before everyone else sees it. Um, you know, Ricky does that. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my! Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Uh, The other place that he's, I think, going to help this team uh, is point of attack defense. Uh, He's a big guard. Uh, He's strong. Uh, And I think he really, really meaningfully affected uh, how uh, opposing teams could could run, and I'll tell you what uh, minutes that he shares with Donnie on the floor, uh, you know, watch your pockets, buddy, because those are two you know high steal rate players on the defensive end, uh, uh, with with a me- mess of limbs uh, in the in the protecting the paint. I think it's going to be really really hard to score on this Cavs team uh, with with Ricky out there because he he kind of leads the defense from the point of attack as well and. You know, while the Cavs have a lot of strengths, and I think Darius has become a better and better defender, I think mm-hmm. Donnie's given a good effort. There's a, still a difference between that and like what Neto's given them uh, yeah. in his very short spurts. And if you're getting that for 15 minutes a game, which I think Ricky is very capable of, if again, if his body's you know up to the uh, up to the challenge early on, 
then I think that's another major, uh, major point of improvement. And I, I think it's smart that you highlight the difference that strength makes because Ricky and Darius, like they're the same height, but even uh, looking at Donovan, who, who's 6'2", 6'3", just how much stronger he is makes such a difference when, when you're talking about defense. Because I, I think Darius has got to the point where he stays connected to his guy a lot. Like he's fighting uh, through screens. He, he's staying on his guy, but there's still going to be spots where someone's just going to overpower him, right? Like they're going to have a strength advantage and it's really hard to move Donovan off his spots. It's hard to move Ricky off his spots. And that extra little bit of strength makes a big difference. I'm wondering how much speed he's going to have on the defensive end. Like I'm not expecting elite point of attack defense that he brought last year, but that might be something that's going to take some time. But I, I just... I think based on the sample size that we've seen from the Cavs this year of guys coming back from injury, guys getting rest at times, like it's really does feel like they haven't brought anybody back too soon. And yeah, we, I mean, the guy's been cleared for five on five for about a month. Right. Um, and even when we were down in Cleveland in October, like he, he was still sprint, he was sprinting like full court at that time. Right. So I'm interested to see how he looks, but it's going to be one of those things where I don't, I don't think we're getting the same Ricky Rubio we had last year, but just that little bit of experience, uh, that, that he brings and, uh, the, the basketball genius, as you say, um, I think that's really going to help this team. The, the other bit of, uh, I guess, injury oh, news. But before oh. before you pivot, I have one last uh, Ricky note um, that I wanted to throw out there is uh, Chris Fido reported, you know, that he would likely be in the 12 to 15 minute range. Mm. Um, and last year, Rubio played just under 30, 29 minutes a game uh, yeah. while he was on while he was healthy. Um, and so that that's another thing that's really nice is, you know, when they lost Ricky last year. It was pretty devastating. Obviously, they figured out a way to to compete through it, and you know, even had some of their best stretches of the season after he went down. But you know, they 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 really relied on him. They are in a spot where they are in a luxurious place at the backup point guard spot, where you know, if if he only has to give you fifteen good minutes, mm-hmm. which means he can you know change the way he's playing out there, knowing that it's going to be probably a shorter run. And, uh, and, you know, it, and on a night where he doesn't have it, you can just say, Donnie, you're the backup point guard again, yeah. um, for, for the, you know, for the second half or whatever, whatever it may be. So they have a lot more kind of wiggle room here. The other, the last thing about Ricky coming back that I think is meaningful is if, again, if he is kind of able to get close to his performance last year, you are able to survive, uh, you know, Darius twist an ankle. Or, or or Donnie, you know, hurting a knee or something like that, where maybe they just need a week or two off to rest up. Uh, being at the point where it's like, okay, we can play, you know, we we have a really capable third guard that can keep the train on the tracks, uh, is really 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 important. And I and again, this is coming from uh, the president of the Howell Neto Appreciators Club. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Neto. Honestly, you know, Neto's been so good that like, if you ha- need an emergency ball handler. I feel like I, I feel more confident in him as being that secondary ball handler than basically anything we had last season after Ricky went down. Absolutely, he was, um, uh, and or he he has been, um, but you know, Ricky uh, when he's right is just a you know another class of player, and uh, it's it's quite. I I just feel like Ricky is pure luxury for this team right now. Yeah, I I mean, last year he was a starting point guard playing as a backup, and this year I, I think you're right, like. 
we don't need the Ricky Rubio that was there after Sexton went down. We need third guard Ricky Rubio, right? Like what he was able to do to to elevate his game and keep the Cavs afloat after Colin went down, that was next level stuff. But what we're going to ask from him is going to be less now. Uh, Evan's a, a more evolved player. Jarrett's improved. I think basically everyone around them, him has improved as well. And uh, that includes Darius. And obviously Donovan Mitchell is an element you didn't have. So uh, I, I think he's smart enough to know what is being asked of him and what the team needs. And he, I think he's going to play within that. So um, I'm pretty optimistic about what he's going to bring this year uh, and, and excited to see it, man. Like it's, it's going to take some time, but they have time, right? Like you, they have the depth to allow him that time. And, uh, obviously that's been the case with taking their time, bringing him back, uh, in, into the lineup. Uh, but the other bit of injury news we did get, uh, from Chris Fedor as well, uh, was that Dean Wade is unlikely to play on this road trip, uh, but still making progress and coming back. Uh, sounds like that, that shoulder was, uh, a real bother for him. Um, so hopefully Dean will, will get back in the lineup soon, but that kind of makes me think one, it's going to take some time for Dean. And this is probably going to be an extended opportunity for Isaac, assuming that he's over the food poisoning to keep trying to earn that role and cement his spot in the starting lineup, because it's probably going to take Dean, even once he returns to the lineup, it's going to take time for him to probably be that three and D threat that we expect him to be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially coming off with a with a shoulder, you know, with an injury on, you know, the his shooting side. Um, you know, the three and D, the three part of the three and D might take a minute anyway. Uh, do you when Dean is back, would you keep Isaac in the starting lineup at least for the first couple of weeks? Yeah, I, I think I would. I I think I. I think you give it an extended run, just like they gave Karras an extended run, just like they gave Lamar an extended run, like uh, especially because the lineup is still working and it's been in that positive. Just re- reward Isaac with that opportunity and then bring Dean back a, a, uh, at his own pace. And it's going to be the same thing as we always see, right? Like if Dean comes in and he's giving you great minutes off the bench, he's he might end up playing more minutes like it's going to be merit based and and that's kind of what i what i would expect from the team yeah i'm i'm not sure um but that would just based on what the team has done in the past and it's not like you know i think if dean had was the entrenched starter after a full year of starting um you know maybe he it, comes, it would be a different slots case. right back in but it's not like he started like three games. i mean I'm, i don't actually know the number but not that many games uh, he's only started he as hurt. an injury replacement at this point right Pretty much. So, um, you know, I think that he has a chance to earn that spot, um, uh, whether he earns it or, you know, Isaac loses it. But uh, in, in the interim, I, I do think he'll probably come off the bench. And, man, I'm just really eager to see him back because he's really the last piece we're waiting on that, you know, we expect to be in the rotation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I really do hope that we get to see him, you know, this month with, a, with at least, you know, a couple weeks of sample prior to the deadline. So, Kobe can really laser laser focus in on what you need. Like if he's giving you awesome minutes, maybe you're mo- more okay uh, targeting someone who's a little smaller uh, that you know serves a different need. I'm not sure, but you know, like there's a lot of options that that they have here, and you know, narrowing down exactly what they need with you know if they do decide to make a move is going to be really really important. I I will say. It- you reminded me of something that I wasn't planning on talking about, but when it comes to kind of targeting someone on the perimeter, I think the unique thing about the Cavs and the thing I feel good about is 
we've seen a lot of different things work with this lineup, right? When when you have Evan and Jared behind them. I kind of feel like the the Cavs can employ the same strategy they had with the draft, which is best player available. Like if the best player available that fits a need comes in a six five body, but you know, is a volume movement shooter, you can go that route. If it's more of kind of a four three like Larry Markinen was you can still bring in that player with a degree of confidence that it's going to work. Um, so I, I think they're in a situation where skill set matters more than archetype and, and talent matters more. But at the end of the day, I, I just feel like they do have a little bit of flexibility with how they can approach this. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Here's the devil's advocate point, though, is that they have such great talent uh, already. Um, That talent might be able to cover up some uh, archetypal uh, misalignments. But then, you know, the the trade I've been talking about in our Discord uh, and with, with friends recently has been the Chaining Fry trade. Mm-hmm. The Chaining Fry trade where that was, a, you know, no one was like, oh, Chaining Fry is awesome. You know, he's languishing in Orlando um, on, on a kind of a bloated contract. No one really, everyone kind of forgot about him. But the second he got to Cleveland, everyone was like, oh, they didn't have that. and and they needed that and they have that now and now they're now they're freaking unbelievable and like you know part of me does wonder you know the one thing this roster does not have right now especially with kevin love having kind of an up and down year as as a volume three-point shooter is is that sharpshooter role player you know they they have donnie and darius who are obviously sharpshooters in their own right but they're also carrying a heavy on-ball load and you know um I saw someone tweeting about uh, about Darius Garland's finishing this year, and David Zavak, a friend friend of the pod and our our former Fear the Sword boss, was like, and a man that's with certainly not listening to this podcast. Yeah, and he never listens to this podcast. But he mentioned like, hey, Darius is often sharing the floor with three non shooters. It's gonna be hard for him to score at the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, so the idea of of them, you know, finding, um, you know, through some form or function a true, you know, 40% level volume three-point shooter uh, to to pair with uh, them uh, in winning time. It just seems like I just can't help but wonder if it, if it'll be a light switch moment where it's like, oh, that's what this team was missing. So that's, that's my only devil's advocate for the archetypal argument as opposed to just finding another good player. Yeah, I, I guess that's on me. I don't think I communicated my point clearly enough because what I was saying is that the skill set matters more than anything. And I think the skill set that the Cavs need is movement shooting. Like, whatever. So you're just saying, don't worry about height. Yeah. Basically saying, don't worry about height. I, I mean, I'll, I'm not I'll, super worried about height. I'll tell you that much. I'll, I'll find, I'll find a picture of a player standing slightly ahead of someone else that, that is a different yep. height. And I, I'll do my propaganda. I'll do my part on that. But like Larry marketing skill set, movement shooter made a big difference. Worked great. Right? It it worked great. So if 
if the movement best movement shooter that you can acquire at the deadline, if you do in fact make a trade, is a larger player that's more of a four three, I think you can do that, right? Like I, I think you can go that route. If it's a six five player that's going to get up 10 threes a game, that's going to I'm I'm here for that as well, right? Like there, there's a lot of different ways that you can go. Um and, and, and as I, always it, it, the the question is always going to be, you know, what are you giving up? Because yeah. this is a team that and, and you, you know. can't just make a trade to make a trade, right? Like you, you have to kind of a, like the Cavs only have, have so a bigger many plan in mind for yeah. sure. Yeah. One, 100%. Uh, so, so yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting to see kind of what they do. And, but to go back to my original point, that's why I want Dean back, you know, because I expect, even if the Cavs make a trade, I expect Dean to be a rotation player for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means Me that they, they have some figuring to do, you know, they gotta, they gotta really, kind of evaluate um, what they have and when they're fully healthy and then what they actually need. I'm, I'm fascinated to find out because this is a question we've been asking, right? Like we talked about this in the past with JB of, okay, is it system or is it personnel? Right. And I, I think we've seen as the personnel improves, the system improves because you know, you have more options to work with. We still don't really have an answer for what type of rotation he would run if fully healthy because we just have not experienced that. Like we we didn't get a chance to see it last year. Um, uh, even before Colin went down, you lost Dean and uh, no, you lost Lowry and Kevin to to COVID early in the year, and, and then Isaac got hurt, and then Colin got hurt, and then Darius got hurt. Right? Like uh, we we just haven't seen what type of a rotation JB will use. I don't expect him to go ten deep every single night, but. Again, this is the kind of data points that we just don't have, and I'm really curious to see what it looks like when this team is fully healthy. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. And but you know, like they have, uh, you know, in the meantime, uh, holding serve is going to be really important. They slipped to fifth in the East um, yeah. uh, last night, uh, which I think both of us kind of expected to happen over the course of this month. Um, with so many other teams hot, they're you know they're catching a little break. I think with Brooklyn. Uh, you know, losing KD for a month uh, in terms of the injury luck playing in their favor. Yeah, but even but, then, Brooklyn uh, has a very, very light schedule over the rest of January. Of course, you've checked. You, by the way, I'm going to give you a little, little kudos. You've been all over the schedule stuff this year, <laughs> not just with our team, but with with the with the other teams we're playing, the other teams in the conference. I, I don't know how you're you're really. Uh, I'm, I've been impressed. You've Thank taught you. me a lot rescheduling this year. Um. But yeah, I mean, uh, you're you're catching some minor breaks, but like we knew this was going to be the month where they probably lost a little ground. Um, And, you know, February, March were going to be where they had to make it back. But if you win games you shouldn't win or, you know, like, and and you have less games like the one last night where, you know, wins that you kind of give away, you got to kind of steal them where you can, take advantage where you can. Like if they, 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 you know, they could win every single game the rest of this month uh, with the exception of the Milwaukee game, which is like the ultimate schedule loss. Like yeah. all these games are winnable. Yeah. Um, now they won't win everyone, but if they're coming in, you know, if they're winning seven out of 10, eight out of 10, um, you know, then uh, things look a lot different for them. Uh, but in the, in the means, but like that's the kind of the challenge they have. They can't give up so much ground that, you know, a hot February and March don't get don't get them back. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's going to be interesting because looking at the rest of this week, you play Portland, who has been who is slumping, reeling, slumping, reeling. But that 
I mean, the other half of that equation is it's a team that's missed a ton of shots. So maybe they're due to start hitting shots and we seem to be that team. And it's a team that's desperate. We've run into the situation many times. Like Toronto was playing for their season. We've played a lot of teams, even Chicago, like the fight that they've given. These are teams that like the, the whole blueprint is on the line. Portland went in on Jeremy Grant, who's an unrestricted free agent. Josh Hart uh, has an option as well. Like, and they fell to 11th in the West. They, they need, that's a team that needs to show proof of concept to justify, hey, let's keep this together. Let's make something of this, right? And, and you know Dame's not going to run from the grind. Uh, so Portland's going to be desperate. And it's always hard to play when, when you're on a, an extended West Coast trip as well, right? So uh, they got the Portland game. And then they play Minnesota, who's going to be third game in four nights. Saw Anthony Edwards left tonight's game with some hip tightness. So we'll, we'll see what his availability is. Um, but... I mean, we we said coming into this, if the Cavs go five and three, we're happy with it. How do you feel about the chances of going five and three, Carter? Well, the five and three over what stretch? I don't remember. I, I think it was for this road trip. So basically, we or uh, sorry, it was three and two. Yeah, it was three and two. Sorry, I, I got five stuck in my head. It was three and two. We've got the two losses. Do you think we're we're going to get these wins? Uh, well, we should. You know, Portland's not that good of a team right now. They've lost uh, eight of their last ten. Uh, Minnesota right now um, is down 15 to Detroit. And as you mentioned, their best guard, wing player is banged up and their best big is hurt. So these are two should wins as, as far as I'm concerned. I know they're road games. I know it's a long road trip, but they're should wins. And, um, you know, these are the kind of games that if you want to be a top three seed, which I think is like that is the golden ticket to me being a three seed because I would so much rather play you know, one of Indiana, Miami, or New York, even though Miami I know is on the on the come up right now. Mm-hmm. I would so much rather play one of them with home court than play Philly, Milwaukee, or Brooklyn in the four five. Like that is such a meaningful difference. See, you're um, thinking of that from a podcast production standpoint because if we play Philly, this is we're it's just not going to be a viable product that we're putting out. Like it's uh, I'm. You're not even going to be able to allow me to talk. You're going to mute my mic. You're just going to go to town with your own takes while I just kind of stew and completely skew the numbers for the complaining about refs tweets. Yes, it's going to be that. Would be tough. But either way, I mean, it's, it's you go from a series where you'll probably be favored uh, in the first round with home court to a series you probably won't be favored. Um, that's just you know that's experience. That's you know, that's uber star power, you know, whether you're playing KD, Giannis, or Embiid. Um, you know, those are three of the top, you know, five MVP candidates right now. Uh, somewhere in there. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, again, like I think the Cavs will have a puncher's chance, especially against Philly. Um, and, you know, they, it might be I think close. they'd be a slight favorite over Philly. I do not think they would be a favorite over Philly. Oh, I think they'd be a betting favorite, especially if they had a home court. I think they'd be a betting favorite with home court, maybe. Um, but without it, no. I, th- I think I think that's one of those series that's that's pretty darn close uh, by the odds makers. But either way, uh, they will definitely be favored against the Indiana Pacers. I'll tell you that much, buddy. <laughs> so you know that that's what I that's kind of the my like internal like it's not. A, I like the season's a failure if you can't get up to three. These teams are so good at the top of the East. But, like, that's what I'm really hoping to see because I want to see some second-round basketball. And I think that's why young, inexperienced teams need to do well in the regular season 
because they have less margin for error when they have to learn some really hard lessons in the postseason. Yeah, no, it's a very good point. And I mean, this is going to be some psycho stuff, especially on, on a day where the gals fall to fifth. But I got my eye on two. I got my eye on two, Carter. For, forget about three. I, I'm not going to get greedy. Oh, no, I'm I'm getting greedy. I'm getting greedy. I, I believe in this team. I think the second half of the season is going to be a lot of fun. But hopefully there's fewer games like the one against Utah. We'll we'll see how the, the Cavs finish off this road trip. Uh, we'll, we'll be podcasting after the, the Minnesota game, I guess. And then uh, we'll we'll be back home uh, for a little bit. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Big thanks to everyone that tuned in live on YouTube. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, you can like and subscribe. Click the notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast, you can leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot that I reviewed at chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cats!